Welcome to the Truth Simply Put, the teaching broadcast vehicle of the Basilea Commission. On today's teaching by Alexander Victor, God's Word rightly divided in the light of Christ, who is the central theme of the entire scriptures, will come with simplicity, precision, clarity, and power to instruct, admonish, edify, and build you up into the full measure of the stature of Christ. Now, let's dive straight in. Somebody asked me a question, a couple of, a couple of voice, voice notes I received. So, good day, sir. The question of what cheating is, um, is at the very least of things, was answered on Friday, right? However, what do you consider as this? When one confides in their pastor or anyone they place above them due to some degree of experience or knowledge, rather than their spouse, does this mean that one is disregarding or cheating on their partner for constantly sharing or confiding in that person regardless of the sex? Do you understand the question? Yeah. So we talked about cheating, and I said that essentially it is raising a third party onto a pedestal that is the same as your partner in a particular dimension. Yes? So the question is, having understood that in the context of, of um, sp- let, me, let me use the phrase, spiritual accountability, okay. right? Is it wrong to speak to your pastor concerning things as opposed to speaking to your spouse so can that be said to be cheating as well now i wish i could tell you a straightforward yes or no but i would be lying if i said yes it's cheating or no it's not cheating because here's another thing that we suffer as pastors we also over time become the emotional um, bus stop for people who find that there's solace in speaking to their pastor so pastors end up, and I've had to train myself over the years to deal with this, and I'm currently still training my wife to deal with it, and pastors are working with me. We have to train ourselves to ensure that you don't end up being someone's dumping ground. There's a difference between being there to deal with issues and being the go-to when everybody has all kinds of issues of life. That's not what we're there for as pastors. Or we provide guardians when, when necessary, you know, and those people that walk with me know that over time, one of the graces that I've manifested or I've seen manifested in my life is the ability to put square pegs in square holes. If somebody is working with me and has legal issues, you know, I, and I know I have somebody, I'll say, speak to my lawyer. You know, if you're having issues, I'll say, speak to that person. So I've learned how to push people in the respective directions that they need to go. And then when I'm dealing with something, I deal with it objectively. As a pastor, I've learned to require as little information as possible to deal with a matter as opposed to wanting to know every single thing about matters in order to deal with a matter does that make sense i don't need to know every single thing that's happening in your life in order to deal with what we need to deal with i don't need to because when you leave and you're like oh yeah oh i feel so much better now imagine that i deal with 12 of you in a day and sometimes my day is like that Sometimes as a pastor, I deal with more people than a medical doctor does. So we have to guard that and ensure that we don't become your solitary point, your solace, your comfort point, your dumping ground, where you just go, you know, I can say anything. And it's good to have a a pastoral relationship with someone you can say anything to, but it's not okay for, for you to zone them as the kind of person that becomes your emotional outlet. Such that you're not comfortable. You don't, we're not resting until you have spoken to your pastor. That's not what we're there for. 
to the measure that you require spiritual counsel, to the measure that you require advice, and most importantly for accountability. Nothing more. Make sense? Nothing more. So that, that will not be, be, beyond that will not be said to be cheating, especially where you are with a spouse that understands the place of a pastoral relationship. And you are in trouble as a lady if you end up with a guy that doesn't respect the place of a pastor. You're in trouble. Because if he doesn't respect your pastor, he won't respect your father or your mother or your friend. And that's why it's not helpful for a sister to be hiding her relationship until it is about to get serious. Oh no, we cannot take the next step until we see my pastor. He has slept with you 19 times. All your friends know him, all his friends know you, all your compound people and street know him. In church, low key. Some people know him. I say, okay, now let's go to the next level. Come and see my pastor. Even when he comes, the guy is thinking in his head. But I've had access to every dimension of you in the absence of your pastor. Why now? And I, I know such people when I talk with them. They sit in front of you with a snare on your face, on their face. There's, there's this disdain that they know there's nothing you're about to say now. I, 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 I've been with this one. And so usually when they come to me, I, usually, I tell them, I say, well, there's nothing for me to say at this point. You clearly are not asking what I think. You clearly have figured it out for yourself. I can only wish you the best. Don't ask me, Pastor, what do you think, what do you think of him? No, no, no. Because you're going to put me in trouble. If you needed what I thought of him, you should have come at the Beningi. I never impose what I think. And unfortunately, sometimes I, I will sit down and see that this thing will not work. And I will not tell you that it will not work. Because at, some, at that point, you might not even believe me. You're too invested in what you've already begun to be open to any form of objective advice. I say, well, brilliant. You guys have worked it out. You know, your folks are aware. Well, Fantastic. And I will love both of you genuinely until you break each other's heart. My people here know what I'm saying. And both of you will come back and I will nurse both of you back and not lose both of you. Both of you realize how stupid you were. You repent and you are still in church, still grounded in the faith. You have learned small lesson. That's when I will tell you, I knew but you are not willing to listen. He said, I, I found, I had peace. There was a release. Now, so, so if you end up with a person who is not submitted to a pastoral relationship for accountability, you are in trouble. Now, if you are with such a person, you have no problems deferring to your pastor in matters concerning your relationship because the person understands the value of that dimension. Does that make sense? If you're, I mean, if you're here and your husband and wife in this local assembly and then you're upset with your wife because she told me the nonsense you were doing, you are the problem of this church. You should, do you understand what I'm saying? Because that's what we, we are. We keep watch over you. That's what the scripture teaches. We keep watch over you. So that will not be said to be cheating. But at the point where you go, Pastor, oh, you don't know what happened yesterday. In fact, this morning, fresh one happened. In fact, this even goes back to what happened November last year. 
Oh, pastor, it's happening again. I know what I'm saying. No? Yeah. Yeah, I have pastors in the room. You don't know what we deal with. You know how people just talk to us like, all we do is just wake up and listen to you. I'm telling you. It's so cute sometimes. They're talking to you and they, they expect that you should listen. The, 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 beautiful, the beautiful part of, of this is where people, we have had a long day, and then somebody feels like, let me not call Pav during the day because he's busy. I will call him at night. <laughs> so with which energy <laughs> should I attend to you at night? When we wear shoes. And then some of them get offended when I can't answer you at 11 o'clock. Or when I read your WhatsApp message. Some messages I read, I smile and I sleep. He that died for you will keep you safe till morning. No, I've taught myself that I am not the savior of the world. I will never come under such pressure. Never. Ever. Read your message. Because some of you, you know how you monitor your spirit? You're looking for two blue ticks. You know, looking for delivered, read. Now start to vex. Papa has seen my message. Is he your seeing? You wait. So I can stay alive. Yeah, you wait. And so you can learn process. I don't come under pressure. I can have 10 meetings booked. And in the course of my day, I rejig them, cancel five, and add another six by virtue of pastoral priority. Do you understand what I'm saying? Just like somebody coming in, if you're in an emergency, emergency section and you're waiting to see a doctor, and an emergency comes, they will go past you. So it's, it will not be said to be cheating if you are harnessing or maximizing the existence of a pastoral relationship. Does that make sense? And not abusing that. And it's also important, I mean, I do that. Sometimes I would tell you, I said, hey, I would tell you, be careful how you see me. I tell people that are close to me that a lot. Because people can easily forget and see me as the big boyfriend you have not had. And I understand that because there's people that have come from places of great deprivation. Do you understand? I'm a pastor to some. I'm a father to some. I'm a friend to, to others. I'm a, I'm a counselor to others. I'm a mentor to others. There are different faculties that work at different times. But sometimes if, you're not, if, you, don't, if you allow the lines blur, somebody will start to see you as their go-to. And it's my responsibility to tell you, hey, calm it down. Keep your eyes open. Hold it like this. You send me 25 WhatsApp messages. I will read it and I will not reply you. When I'm ready, I reply you, all is well. Peace. Good night. Love you. They are here. They know themselves. Good evening, Pav. How are you doing? How was your day? Each, each thing I'm telling you now is a different line of WhatsApp. Good evening, Pav. How was your day? Hope, you, hope you're well. How, how, have you eaten today? What did you eat? Are you resting? You know, the Lord is your strength. Uh, I'll just see, um, and it's coming from a good place. And I will let you, because if I reply one, 30 more will follow. So I allow you to be sure you have exhausted all you want to say. And I replied, hello, beloved. Thanks for your messages. Sorry I was away. I am good. All is well. God is faithful. Peace, much love, Pav. It's done. Those of you that look for me on Facebook Messenger, you also know. I don't have, because in Nigeria, you can chat for free on Facebook. 
I, I, as soon as I clocked, I'm like, nah. So if you come at me on Facebook and go, good evening, Pav, or hello, sir, I, I reply, greetings, beloved. I'm waiting, I'm watching you. If your next line is, how are you, Pav? You know I'm gone. Because, you, you see, you have nothing to say. You're looking for bragging rights. I and my pastor are chatting. Yeah. They're looking for bragging rights. And I'm not going to give it to you. So you now reply, sir, I, I, I want to say something. I will reply instantly. I say, can you type it all in one message and send? I'm always regulating my correspondence. I don't run with anything. Type it in one message, send it, I'll read it all, and I'll revert. Otherwise, you think, okay, Pav, when we're singing, you are the Alpha and Omega, you're in the middle. You'll be thinking, you'll be seeing Pav's image. And it's our, that's why I say, if you put me on a pedestal, I will bring myself down. Do you understand? <laughs> put, oh, yeah, hey, Pastor, I put you on a pedestal. I dethrone myself from the pedestal. You can keep your pedestal to yourself. No. I'm not going to be on any pedestal. So it's our duty to regulate and let you know. Keep your eyes open. This is who I am. And then it's your duty to not resist that instruction. Because again, church people, when they feel entitled or they have gotten emotionally attached to you, they feel rejected when you say no. They confuse refusal for rejection. Are you here? So to the degree that you need pastoral uh, counsel, to the degree that you need to be accountable, to the degree as well that your spouse understands and shares pastoral accountability relationship with you, is to the measure that you will share. Share whatever needs to be shared at any point in time. Does that make sense? Beyond that, not necessary. If you start to see this person, whether pastor or anybody or even your lawyer, or therapist, as somebody that you will see things you cannot say to your spouse. At that point, you're cheating. Does that make sense? Yeah, Pastor Connor, let me tell you. Oh, Pav, let me tell you. Oh, Sa, let me tell you. Mommy, let me tell you. Daddy, let me tell you. Both you and the person listening to you are both in trouble. Does that clarify that? Okay. Is there any more? If someone is in a relationship and she's not sure, so this is a she. Is not sure where the whole stuff is headed. In bracket, not defined. Actually, yeah. Is it okay to just walk away until both of them are processed for each other, if they will be? And how can she go about this? Knowing that there is no language like dating in the kingdom. Auntie, you will learn very quickly that in a mutually agreed heterosexual relationship, the woman has as much voice as the man. Did you hear what I said? Because there's nowhere except in a gross misunderstanding of scripture that the woman is made inferior to the man. Did you hear what I said? No place. Okay, first, first Peter 3. Oh, come on. <laughs> first Peter 3. I need verse 7. Let me do that. 
Husbands likewise dwell with them, that's just the wives, yes, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. It doesn't say they are weaker vessels. English. Mm-hmm. As to the weaker vessel. Because it will be a problem of English to say they are weaker vessels and, as, and say as being heirs together of the grace of life. So husband and wife are heirs together of the grace of life. The TPT. Is that Alex? <laughs> Husbands, you in turn must treat your wives with tenderness, viewing them as feminine partners who deserve to be honored, for they are. Co heirs. The message. The same goes for your husbands. Be good husbands to your wives. Honor them, delight in them. As women, they lack some of your advantages. But in the new life of God's grace, you're equals. Now, African men don't want to hear the things I have to say. (laughs) On Friday, here's what happened. On Friday, some people felt like ripping out some pages from their Bibles. You could see it on people's faces. They were perturbed by what they were saying. We are equals. If we, husband and wife, are not equal, relationships in the light of Christ, you lie to say you and Christ are equal. You lie. You lie to say as he is, so I am. You lie to say he has sat us together in heavenly places. You lie to say we are are joint heirs of the Father. You lie to say God does not see Christ more righteous than he sees me. The moment you deplete the value of a woman, you deplete the value of your salvation. In the light of Christ, no? (laughs) You cannot come and say I am as righteous as Christ. If you don't believe my woman is as human as me. We are joint heirs. We are equals. Two equals with a head. Does that make sense? Two equals with a head. So there's nothing that suggests that a woman doesn't have a voice. In fact, that is antichrist. My friend, shut up when I'm speaking. You say, what now? Because you see, on, see ladies, the, the, the first time you were slapped was like the 11th time you were slapped. Stuff had brewed and brewed and brewed and brewed and brewed and brewed and brewed. So if you're in a relationship that's not going anywhere, you call the brother say, uncle, we need to talk. Very soon you will understand as a man that not even the rapture or hell scares a man like these words from a woman, we need to talk. 
If your spouse starts with, we need to talk. Just start praying the spirit. I'm telling you. So usually what I do is I'll ask, first of all, I'll say, yeah, okay, I understand. It's, it's all well. I need to get that assurance. When we talk, we will find out. <laughs> so you call the uncle and say, uncle, we need to talk. Because first of all, you should not have entered a vehicle whose destination you don't know. You, sister. What made you enter? Tizy, 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 tizy. Tizy, stop you. Enter. You had gone for a while before you asked. Wait, wait, oh, driver. Where are you going? And how does that concern me and where I'm going? Nobody does that. Goes back to what you said on Friday about discernment. About how the greatest thing you find yourself operating in is the spirit of discernment. The gift of discernment. So, yes, you entered. You didn't know where you were going. Now you're coming into light. You're understanding that you entered a vehicle. You didn't know where it was going. Call the driver. Say, sir, from here on out, where are we going? Are we even going anywhere? What is the plan? No, the plan is that, you know, very soon, I will take you to my people. You'll wait for nine years. <laughs> I wish I was at liberty to say some things. Because you see, for a man, preparation for marriage is not acquisition of assets. If you're waiting until you have a house, have a, and for you, that is what you think makes you ready for marriage. You will have what you are after and you're still a boy. And you will not be able to look after God's precious treasure that he's entrusted to your care. Because you didn't learn how to be responsible. You only learned how to acquire. You didn't learn how to be responsible. That's why you wake up and it's not like, it's not like, you are, it's not like you're a bad guy. But you wake up in the morning and the first thing that comes to your mind is to wash your car. Because you can't, have, you can't bear to see any stain on your car. I mean, not you, guy. How? And there's that prestige. I don't know if it still exists. But there's that prestige of washing your own car that used to be around back in the day. You know, just, you know, just whistling. You know. You know. Splash water, wash your car, you know. You know, just feel really nice and cool. Or plug the hose to the tap. Pinch the, you know. Or you call it. Aminu! Wash the car, I'm going out soon. If you have a gate man. And you, you are not even sure how your wife woke up. But you are thinking how your car woke up. You go out, you open the bonnet of the car, you check the oil. Check the hydraulic. Check brake fluid. Check tire pressure. You pay attention to your vehicle so much. And there is a son of God that Jesus died for in your house. But it was the car you were hoping, but when you have, it makes you ready 
to acquire a woman. And the woman is there, you have not learned how to care for another human being apart from yourself. So it's not having a car that makes you, I don't have a car so I can take her wherever she wants to go. I, don't, I, I can't bear to see my wife standing to take a taxi. You know, most times it's pride speaking. It's not concern. It's not empathy. It's how friends will look at you if they see your woman on the road. It has nothing to do with her. And that's what we'll start to deal with and imitate this afternoon if I can get there. Because we're starting to consider the emotions of Jesus. The emotions of Jesus. You're not thinking about her. You're thinking about yourself. So you, you can have everything. and you're not, You don't have a clue how to navigate a partner. And so now you come into light, sister, and you ask the guy, where are we going? Are we going somewhere? And the guy cannot articulate in words that are convincing enough for the spirit of discernment in you. To bear witness with. That is where you drop from the taxi. And give God praise for deliverance. Do you understand? I said you will enter, you, when you arrive in church, you will just arrive church like the, the day after you break up. People come together. The strangers as neighbors. Our God is. You'll be the loudest voice that day when we worship. You just drop from the car. Pay the transport. Pay. If something of his belongs to you, return it. Don't try to go away with plunder. <laughs> like Abraham when he went after the kings that took Lot. I feel like the plunder, you know, I put in some time in this. Hand it over. Cut your losses, count your blessings, give God praise. Do it yesterday. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like soon, it's late. Yeah. Do, it, do it last week. Ah. And move. There's too much at stake for sons of God in the earth in this season. This season. And then you're hoping that the guy will change his mind. You now send his name to, to, to prayer point. Let your family pray. He now send his picture to that place. <laughs> and you are trying. It's, it's a bad start for you to be interceding to, to win a brother. Or interceding to convince a sister. It's a bad start. That's how you spend the rest of your relationship lifespan. It will be a prayer point. When marriage is not a do or die affair. You are not commanded to marry. You are permitted to marry. There's a difference. It is not an instruction. You're not commanded to marry. You're not instructed to marry. It's not a requirement. It's a permission. You're permitted to marry. You're not commanded or instructed to marry. So if he's not going anywhere, you pay the transport, tell him stop now. If you won't stop, seek help. Most times, abuse festers when the perpetrator feels safe. Abuse continues when the perpetrator feels safe. 
If somebody sends you two, three, four, five nasty messages, speaks to you in a particular way, and you tell them stuff, and you tell them, especially ladies to guys, and the guy is maltreating you, and you're telling him, I'm no, I don't want this guy. The guy will show up in your house and can accost you on the street or start to bombard your phone. Let the guy know, I will speak to somebody about this. I will speak to your pastor about this. Do you understand what I'm saying? And if you need to speak to a lawyer, speak to a lawyer. Because if you, if, you, if you pass the impression that you are on your own, you will continue to be seen as vulnerable. Because yeah. there's guys that you will tell, I, I think we've come to the end of the road, and they will tell you it's a life. I don't have you, nobody can have you. Yeah. Nobody else will. And they actually mean it. They start to go at it. And they start to go more at it because unfortunately, again, in the way that our society has been, has been structured, you would not find a lady making a boast of men she has slept with. Very rarely. It takes a very twisted woman to start to say, Caleb, I've been there. Godwin, him too. You know? Very, very twisted. It is men that keep scorecards and share those scorecards. So the average man doesn't have a problem telling his friends that he has been with you and even setting you up for his friends. Because they feel like there's nothing to lose. And even when that happens, they'll come and they'll sit around and blame the lady. You too, what are you thinking? Why did you go like that? Why did you dress like that? Why didn't you just do what the guy said? The police will also tell the lady the same thing. Because the uniform is there, but the mindset is the same. The pastor, sir, will tell the woman the same thing. Pastor! You too, I've been watching you do it, I've been dressing and coming to church. Pastors will shut you down and say, my friend, you too, well, look at you. I've been looking at you. Because the guy is a pastor, but tradition is what he sees ministry through. So he's a pastor, again, like the policeman, but he's an African man first. His coming into salvation did not bring him to realize he's a citizen of heaven first before he's a man. And therefore, because he's a citizen of heaven first, then he has to be a man according to the dictates of heaven. Not a man according to the dictates of society. Do you understand what I'm saying now? That's what's messed up the society. And that's what church is not talking about. Not talking about it. Because the guy doesn't have a problem running you down before other guys. And among the guys, they all know that we've been with this one. And then pass you on and set you up for the other one. And when the other one succeeds, he goes back and tells the same guys, I've gotten my share. And they can make bets among themselves. Like, you know, I'm going to go next. And you're there trying to pray. Believe God. Be quiet. Protect him. Guys ain't got nothing to lose in that sense. That's why in this house we are deliberately raising male sons of God. Deliberately. Deliberately. Because we have to change the narrative. Sons of God have to stand up and understand what Christ in you actually means. Actually means. So you speak up and say, sir, I mean, it's been great thus far. You know, sometimes stuff is great until information shifts. At a level of exposure, you had a great relationship. And then you came into fresh information and the information you've come into is not compatible with the relationship. And in some cases, unfortunately, the relationship would not allow itself to be upgraded to your level of information. And so you're either forced with 
disregarding your level of new information and staying here, which makes you very miserable and frustrated. Or trying to superimpose that level on the relationship, which in most cases would only work if you are the male. Ladies, don't ever, ever allow anybody, including your mother, tell you you can change a man when you go in. Or a pastor. Oh, oh, he will change. I love him. He's in, in the midst of all this, he's still a very good guy. Oh. He just has anger things. He just beats me. But he's, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. And believe in God. <laughs> Again, sisters will go, Ah, but Papa, why are you saying that now? Again, listen to me carefully. If a woman thinks that she can change a man, then it explains why the church is trying to change Christ. You got saved. And as you enter church, you are hoping that now that you have entered church, you can show church how to do it. The parallels are so instant. Man and woman, Christ and the church. That's the whole idea. Ephesians 5.32. And that's essentially what religion is. Our version of Christ in spite of Christ. So we keep trying. And then you get frustrated. Ah, Father, we have prayed enough. Okay, last year we prayed 40 days. Out of 100 prayer points, 38 were answered. Next year, we're praying 90 days. Heaven will not rest until I am blessed. What are you trying to do? Circumvent the will of God. Trying to change the mind of God. You're not interested in God's mind. If you want God to kill somebody now, God should kill the person. The only time the person will survive is if you change your mind. Can you see that? So most times we are trying to use God. Trying to circumvent God. God, if you are God. Shut up. He don't have to prove to you. Do you understand? It's not because of who he killed. That he's God. If you are God. So if a woman is told you can change a man, the church can also be told you can change Christ. Just stay with him long enough. Understand his language long enough. You, You will get him. So you must be happy, ladies, with the man as he is today while trusting for him to be better tomorrow. You must start off being comfortable with him as he is today, now. And trust God for better. Does that make sense? For the man, especially the man in Christ, and that's why the man in Christ, in Christ indeed, in understanding, in epignosis, is best suited to run a home. Because he then begins to do the work of conforming the woman to his image. So if a man is updated in the information of his revelation, it is, an, it is easier for him to update his relationship. Are you guys hearing what I'm saying? Yeah. It's easier for the guy to update the relationship. The way it is Christ that is processing the church. It's easy for the guy to say, honey, I've come into to this light. Can we, shall we, can we stop this? Can we go there? The woman, hmm, you can try, but it's really not your place. So when it becomes like that, you owe it to yourself to come off the, the cab. Drop from the taxi. Celebrate the, bad, the good times. You know, it was good at the level of understanding you had. 
You know, some of you had relationships and thought you were in love and thought it was great until you knew what love was. I'm speaking now. Some of you might feel like this doesn't apply to me. Don't deceive yourself. Please, even if you're married. Even if you're married and your child is here as an adult. Take it. Open your heart to it. Bank it. Because what you don't receive when it was uttered cannot help you when you need it. Because when you receive it, you didn't add value to it. It was not mixed with faith. So it didn't profit them. Faith is not required as it were at the time of appropriation. It's required at the time of receipt. When they heard the word, they did not receive it with faith. They didn't mix it with faith. So the word will help you by faith is dependent on how you receive it when it is being said. Not the faith you are trying to generate when you need it. So don't ever, it's not maturity to close off when the word is coming. It's not maturity. It's actually immaturity. It, it hampers you. Receive it with faith, even if you don't see how it might be applicable now. But receive it with faith as instruction until it is useful. Not try to now bring faith. Paf said, and you're trying to now, because you, you know, in a desperate bid to grab a word that came when you didn't receive it with faith. This has just instructed someone. Take it. You will need it. You will need it. So receive it today with faith. Mix it with faith. Bank it. Amen? Amen. That answers that, right? Is that clear? I'm going to love you and I'm going to leave you. This was good while it lasted. Two questions. Question one. In a situation where the lovers want to get married, but they don't have the consent of their parents, can they go ahead and get married? Marriage is purely a family affair. Again, oh, churches, pastors, you know the churches where you pay the church for marriage. <laughs> you don't pay the long fees. You ain't going to marry nobody. You pay for the pastor's suit. You pay for the wife's uh, dress. pay for the pastor's tie in some places. You buy some particular drinks. And then, I'm not talking about the hall and diesel and... Talking about levies that you malt for the Dickens, one carton, you know. Marriage is purely, and so hold on to this one. I need the second question. Marriage is purely a family affair. There's no singular place in scripture, Genesis to Revelation, where you see the church's involvement in making two people married. And it's a very ouchy one for church. No place where it is church that combines two people as man and wife. Question is, where did it begin? Question is, why hasn't anybody questioned it? By the powers vested on me. I don't want to get into theological debates. But there were things that were legislated in Constantinople that were not legislated by Christ or the apostles. The things that men sat in councils and agreed on. And agreed that this is how it should go. Do you know it was that same guy that determined 
that a crop of people should wear robes and sing before the message, before the homily. It was Emperor Constantine. That till today, in 95% of churches, choir must sing special number before pastor preach. That's how everybody knows pastor is about to That that liturgy came from the Eastern Orthodox Church as a practice they borrowed from paganism. That when they are entering their, their temples with their incenses, they will have that procession and they are all robed. And this guy converts and his subjects and the, the nobles of his court are asked to convert on the basis that they will borrow some of their practices. Go and read the history of Christianity. So we can, we'll convert to your new religion, emperor. But can we, do we have to lose the burning of incense? It was pagan. So they agreed. Take that in. Do we have to lose the wearing of our robes? It's called pageantry in theology. They said, no, you can bring th- pageantry along. How about our invocations and our chants and our, for everything? He said, no, liturgy is called in theology. You can bring liturgy along. That's where you got opening prayer from. Closing prayer. Prayer for wedding. Prayer for dead. Prayer for newborn baby. Prayer for dedication. It all came from liturgy. Holidays. Sainthoods. Pagan practices. Clergy and laity, that dichotomy. How to, there's books, how to conduct a marriage. It's there. How to conduct a funeral. Child baptism. Baptism. All the words are the same. From men. It's important to remember that. From men. Now, Pav is very small. Doesn't pastor a big church. Doesn't have money. Hasn't built a big dome. Doesn't have a campsite. You know what I mean? On the express road. Somewhere outside town. Doesn't have a private jet. Hasn't been around a long time. And so you think he couldn't possibly be saying the truth. Go home and pick your Bible. I dare you. You and your pastor. I like to speak these things and remind people that I'm not a guest minister. Yes, sir. I'm speaking in my city. Do you understand? I live here. Tomorrow you can see me. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not speaking and then run away. And I'm here. Any attempt to justify some things will be gross ACGCs of scripture. Trying to forcefully read into scripture what it does not say. And believers exegete scripture. Ex from the Latin prefix which means out. Ex. That's why you get exhale. Exhume. Exfoliate. Ex means out. Sigit to dig. To dig something out. So we study scripture, we exegete scripture, we take out of scripture what scripture has said. A means in, to to exegete means to read into scripture what it has not said. In order to force it to say what you want to say. So I will not come and lie to you just to make me look important. My importance is not based on my office. Marriage is a family affair, sir. Now, but Pav... Are you going up against a system? Give it 20 years. I told you when this last year was wrapping up. Yes, sir. So the next decade we have entered. Yes, sir. This de- give it 20 years. What you know today as Christianity is dead. Yes, sir. We'll have this conversation again, 2030. When some of you are scattered all around the world. Married, doing business, doing ministry. Flourishing. When your children are coming up. 
and there's a bunch of children now that are being born and are not being taught Sunday school rhymes. A bunch of children that as they are being born, I told, listen, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. In spite of you, start to confess it. Christ became everything you were, so you can become everything he is. That's when this thing will turn on his head. And the same way you, all of this is normal now. It's the same way this light of this gospel. We stay at it until it takes over the nations. So you can look at me funny and think, we're alone. Ay, 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 We plenty, oh. We plenty. We'll fix it. It's family. The best the church can do is acknowledge what has already been ratified. Why did I say all that? If it is a family affair, then you must pay attention to family. You must. You must do everything it takes to pay attention to family. You do everything it takes. If it needs time, invest some time. Does that make sense? If it needs humility, because a lot, a lot of us are just strong-headed. And sometimes you need, to be, you need to be humble. If it needs humility, give it some humility. If it needs understanding, give it some understanding. If it needs some gifts, uncle, give it some gifts. Give it some gifts. If it needs prayer, ay, ay, ay. fire its prayer. Do you understand what I'm saying? Pray about it. Do everything that is required to honor family. Everything required. Everything required. To the measure that your faith is not compromised. Because even the scripture that, you know how most parents that are doing you, we tell you, does the Bible not say, children, honor your parents? Next verse, mommy, does the Bible not say, parents provoke not your children to wrath? Most parents don't know that one. As soon as this verse, you just jump to other verses. In most parents' Bible, that verse, no day. Provoke not your children to anger. So your obedience in that sense must be seen to be complete. Your obedience must not just be complete, must be seen to be complete. At that point that you have done everything required. Everything required. And stuff just won't bulge. You're from two tribes that don't marry. For instance. You know? Now you do all of that and they say, no way. It's not happening. No way. It's not happening. It's no way. Listen to me. If you are, if you are sons of God, the Spirit of God will make a way for you. Yes, Through your family or around them. Mm. Yes, Some things I'm, I'm not at liberty to say because eh, the church still cannot handle it. So I have to teach my way to it. And I want to teach. Do you understand? I want to get to the point where I have raised the people that can handle what I have to teach about the word of his grace. We have not scratched the surface of what this thing is. I haven't touched it. If I told you some things about marriage now, some of you literally right now pass out and faint. 
Literally. The church can't handle it. There's stuff that the church cannot deal with yet. Do you know it was the church, early church that instituted and endorsed prostitution. So if you're going to do that marriage, do it in a place where we can control it and know how much penance to give you when you have done it. Let's employ the people to do it. We don't just stand up and speak. You may despise us, despise our pedigree, but you can't despise the truth in our mouth. The things I'm waiting to teach, we can't handle it. Fornication. Church has no clue what that word means. Adultery. Marriage in itself. What constitutes marriage? We have no clue. In some respects, the law understands marriage. Civil law understands what makes a marriage more than the church. Stuck with her head in her behind. You see why Paul would say, Man, let us leave elementary principles. Yeah. We're here dragging salvation, eternal judgment, elementary principles, kindergarten. We're still fighting kindergarten. Still fighting. Are you staying once saved? It's forever saved. In 2021. When there's deep, there's depths to plumb in this truth. There's things we haven't touched about eschatology. I just, it's hard though sometimes to want to teach and not teach until they are ready to be taught. So we keep teaching and just teaching. So fulfill all righteousness with family by all means. You've done everything and it is seen that you have done everything. A way will be made. Either through your family, like I said, or around them. Because after family has been let me put it this way. After every attempt to placate, family has been exhausted. Family loses the right to impede your marriage. Because family doesn't make you married. Family allows you to be married. Let the church be doing what they're doing. We're coming. They just, they just acknowledge that you have met the requirements for marriage. They don't marry you. Nobody does. But see, we have caught, gotten caught up in certain things by which we start to measure the importance of the organization called church. So when those things are threatened, we feel like the church is being attacked. Does that make sense? But the things under attack are not the things that define or should define church. It's the gospel in its purity that should define church. So when you come at these things, people start to shout and scream. And we are here defending and fighting for and against type. That men sat in a council under the same emperor and agreed that the apostles did not do tithe. The early church did not do tithe. Arrhenius fought this thing and died over it in that council, telling them the early church did not do tithe. Origin stood his ground about it. The New Testament church did not do tithe. But the churches are suffering. People are not giving. So let us institute 
tithe as a sacrament to make them give. Tithe came back into church. Men sat down and discussed it in the council in Nicaea. So everything that starts to happen is men exegeting scripture to justify their man-made position. So me, Pav, I will teach my people and keep my mouth shut. I can make noise on Facebook. I can make noise every 10 minutes if I want to. My page will have 2 million followers. I've learned to read post, smile, and pass. So I'm not called to pastor the whole world. Anyway, the, the time is coming. I'm not called to pastor the whole world. You can make noise. So people are here fighting too and against. And then you go back. I, was, I had a meeting with, oh, Daniel is not here. I had a meeting with him and he brought tithe. And I started laughing. And I started to show him stuff. Something when you are quoting Melchizedek for tithing. It is as clear in, in Hebrews 7. Where he says, and he blessed him and he gave. Even if tithe originated from Melchizedek and Abraham. It is he blessed and he gave. Not he gave that he might be blessed. Then you come and go to Malachi 3. You have robbed me in tithe and offering. Keep quiet. Go to chapter 2 and see who God is talking to. Whether it's his people or the Levites. Find out who was eating tithe. Whether it was the church or the Levites, the priests. Then tell me who Malachi 3.10 was talking to. Pick one verse. I'm making noise. God said, bring the tithe to the storehouse. Bring the tithe. There was a tithe of the tithe. That the Levites, instead of remitting it for the meat in the house, the Levites were eating tithe. So God took up a lamentation against the priests. And said, bring that tithe into the storehouse. The one you're eating. You are robbing me. Not Israel. That scripture was never directed at those people. Oh, it's not a law. It's not a law. There are seven different tithes. All of them are in the law. There's tithe of alcohol. And you don't drink it in your house. You come in the presence of the Lord and sack it. So if you are tithing and you're not doing that, you are lying. It says bring your tithe in the presence of the Lord. If you are traveling from far, convert your tithe to money. Then when you get here, buy food, buy drink, strong drink. Is your Bible strong drink? Sit in the presence of the Lord and eat and drink and the Lord is glorified. There was a civil constitution for particular needs. It's part of the Lord that collapsed in Christ. We're here and we're arguing. Then people start to argue. Uh, look at your, Jesus said, look at your father Abraham and do likewise. Abraham gave tithe. Do likewise. Okay. Right? We are, yes? Yeah. Abraham lied his wife was his sister. Do likewise. <laughs> Abraham got his concubine pregnant. Do likewise. Is Abraham the pattern or is Jesus the pattern? Do likewise. Follow Abraham. Yeah. Father Abraham has many children, many sons and found Abraham. I am one of them. And so are you. So let us praise the Lord. <laughs> Turn around. Sit down. Sit down! I'm trusting God to teach soon. Number two question. Does that do justice to number one? Number two, I like this one. Is it right for a woman to look for a man stroke husband? 
Again, societal pressure has put us under that, that, that umbrella where it says, you know what, if you want something, go for it. Again, in the light of Christ, picture us storming heaven. We want to be saved. Who is coming to save us? Is there, is there no savior for us? We are, we are tired of being sinners. We are tired of being sinners. We have been sinners enough. We, we think that by this time, by now, we ought to be saved. The savior is not coming. We have checked Elijah. It didn't seem to be him. We have checked Moses. It didn't seem to be him. Even John the Baptist came. We didn't seem to, can you send somebody that can save us, please? God commended his love. Romans 5 and 8 towards us in this manner. While we were yet sinners, Christ died. For the ungodly. Ephesians 5 and 32. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother for 31 and be joined to his wife and they too shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, verse 32. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. That's the yardstick. If we didn't go to look for Christ to save us and love us, nobody here wrote an application letter to heaven for him to send Jesus. I, I, I look, I, I need love. I need, I need, I need love, Jesus. I, we need love. Can we send a delegation to, to the Father, to Jesus? Send us love, please. We are lovable. We have a lovable age. We have savable age. Please, can you come and save us? Can you come and save us? No, he took the step. It's always his prerogative. And if marriage is a type of Christ and the church, then two things. One, we cured the first one on Friday about sisters being under pressure to marry. Yeah, you are permitted to marry. You are not instructed to marry. That should remove the pressure from you to marry in the first place. How much more go and hustle a husband? If you look at it in terms of completion, it says, the father says, it is not good for a man to be alone. He never said it's not good for a woman to be alone. It's not good for the man to be alone. I, God, shall make him a help meet fit for him. It's man that needed help. Sisters, do you understand what I'm saying? Not good for a man to be alone. So let me, let me make a woman fit for him. And just in case you're thinking, I mean, it should be obvious to you by now, you're thinking, how does this relate to the light of Christ? It was fitting for him in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. It was not good for Jesus to be alone. Do you understand that? So God did. When God did, Jesus now came to do. Yours is a response, church. So the day the brother gets to the point where he knows it is his to do. If you have not been found, see, Ruth laid down at the feet of Boaz, uncovered the feet. Boaz still had to see. Boaz had to see and then place a demand. In fact, when he placed a demand, he had no right to. But because he knew that this was it, he said, who is taking this one? And everybody went, no, 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 no. Read the story. Give me your sandal to show that you have abdicated this one. That gives me the right to press in. The guy hustled his wife. Are you guys hearing me? What makes you think so low of yourself? That you have to be the one to go and tell a brother, have you not noticed that I'm the one you should marry? 
Okay, maybe not that, maybe not that direct. Okay. No, I, I, I had to hit you with the hardest one, you know, to get your attention. But it happens, you know. Like, you know, but um, brother Vervision, I really like you. I think you're beautiful. I've been observing you these past few weeks that I've been coming to church. So uh, you've been, you know, you're very quiet. You don't talk much. You just come. You just sit. You know, you, you go. And then you speak once in a month. Have you conserva- considered your servant precious? <laughs> Listen to me. Whatever you compromise to get, you will have to compromise to keep. Be found. Just be processed and then be ready to be found. Simple. Left hand side, well, nobody's looking at me. Pastor, nobody's looking at me. Because your attitude is so loud that you are standing there, but we refuse to see you. Let me speak for all the brothers. You are there. You are fine. Yes. You are ambitious. Yes. But your attitude is so loud that it obliterates like a silhouette over your beauty. When you finish laughing, you'll come back to understand what I'm saying is true. And there's nobody from the village after your marriage. The devil gains nothing by stopping people marrying. It's of no eternal value. Marriage is of no eternal value. The devil ain't got no business with it. It's when you elevate your marriage to a level of a God that he will come for it. The devil never comes for whatever you have not showed him is important enough to take you away from God. He was disarmed though. I've said over and over, he was disarmed. If he has any ammunition now, you give him. You give him. Because he was totally disarmed. It wasn't amnesty where you bring 500 guns, you hide 2,000 in the, in the creeks. You disarmed people. They, they brought guns. You grinded the guns. And then you didn't pay them for two months. They bring guns. Where did they get the guns from? <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. It's not an amnesty program where you know, Satan just came and brought more of his weapons. He was totally disarmed. So he will only come for what you have shown him has the potential to distract you from the faith. Otherwise, he doesn't have a problem with you being rich. God doesn't have a problem with you being rich. The devil shouldn't. But what you have shown that I must make this money by all means. You are now giving the devil something to work against you with. So your marriage doesn't intimidate anybody. You see, hell is, hell is shaking. Ah, hey, if Caleb marry now, ho, oh, oh, ho, all our demons in this branch. Do you understand? Yeah. What demons? You know, so, ah, the Bible says, one shall chase one. Ten. Shh, shh, shh. Don't quote a scripture you don't understand. Yeah. One shall chase one thousand, two shall chase ten. What is he saying? What is he saying? Has it been fulfilled? Who fulfilled it when? Because it is we now, with Christ, chasing 10,000. Taking territories that Jesus could not take by himself. Going to ends of the earth where Jesus by himself could not take. Us and Jesus, 10,000. In a manner of speaking. In other words, the multiplier effect of what Jesus as one body could not do in the earth. That now with him and us, we, body of Christ... You can make more money because you're married. How does marriage make more money? Think about it. If we don't see scripture in the light of Christ, eh, we don't know anything. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Calm down. Prepare yourself to be found. Wait until you're found. Nobody's after your marriage. Nobody. Nobody. Ah, nobody's seen me. Nobody, Pastor, nobody's seen me. Sometimes you are too busy. Sometimes you're too active. You're too loud. So allow yourself. And if you are not being found, just wait. 
A location change might do it. A lifestyle change might do it. Being at the right place at the right time, according to the leading of the Holy Spirit, will do it. It's not for you to hustle. It's not anything you should aspire towards. Because then when you get married, you become the fulfillment of that person in 1 Corinthians 7, whose desires now become towards her husband and is distracted from the Lord. I've said many times here, and everywhere in the world I've spoken, children start to grow. You're in church, and then you get married. Ah, sister. Let me use somebody that can take it. Sister Esther. Oh, you're coming late this is. Oh, I'm married on oh, my husband. There's no pressure. No pressure. How much more the pressure to hustle your way be found? Stay with the Lord. Don't abdicate certain things you're doing because you're waiting. For that. You see, if you, if you want to go to school, go now. Go now. Don't wait for brother. Because it starts to blur the lines. You come under a false sense of obligation to somebody because he helped you through school. Because he bought you a phone. 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 Your whole future. Phone. Four years of school in Nigeria, Federal University. If you spend too much money, one million, you will squeeze your master's program into that one million. For your entire human life, you mortgage your life, your future, your fulfillment in Christ Jesus for one million. Because somebody paid four years of school fees and house rent and books and sorting. So really that is how much you are worth. But you don't value me. You don't value. So from the example we see in scripture, bad idea. For God so loved the world that he. Is that clear? Does a love relationship have a limit when it comes to commitment? This is a bit ambiguous. I'm not very sure what exactly you mean when you when talk about commitment. In fact, the, even the phrase love relationship in itself. If you were here on Friday, then we have dealt with what that essentially is. Um, and that will determine your understanding of what a love relationship is will determine what you mean by level of commitment. Does that make sense? So somebody a while ago sent me a message on Facebook and said, um, somebody is a case I'm dealing with and sends me a message and says her, her partner, um, she loves him, they're together, they have a child together and, um, and she wants to be with him and everything. And the guy was going to start a business and ask her for some, some amount of money, which she had. To give my shows like, Pastor, am I being foolish to give him the money? <laughs> I replied, I said, this is somebody you're with. She said, yes, you love him. Or you say you love him. She said, yes. You want to be with him? She said, yes. He's starting a business. She said, yes. He asked you for money. She said, yes. You have the money. She said, yes. You're asking if you're being foolish to give him the money. She said, yes. So you are with him. She said, yes. You're with him. She said, yes. You want to be with him. She replied, she said, Pastor, I think I will just give him the money. Because see, my, my job is not always to give you answers. I think, Pastor, I think I will just give him the money. I said, it is well, my dear. Peace. Much love. Pav. I said on Friday, you don't stand in love. Me, Alexander, I'm a hard lover. I, that's, that's how I saw. That's, that's the pattern. I can't love and hold back. There are times where I hate myself for not being able to hold back when I wish I could. The more I hurt in love, the more I love in the hurt. You look at yourself, you tell yourself, look at how, as a, as a man as you are, as holy ghost as you are, see how 
helpless you are. And it reminds you of how humble you ought to be in the sight of the Lord. There's love. You don't, there's no macho. Do you understand? You don't gym inside love. You know? Develop six pack. Now you, think you have now mastered it. You are now tough. So your love, you're committed. You, you are moved even when you are not happy. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're still moved to do what you're moved to do. You still care about someone. You still take their problem as yours. You still be uncomfortable when they're in a, in, a, in a mess. You will invest in what concerns them. And sometimes people mistake that for approval. You can think I'm cool with you because I'm still supporting you. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. But that's commitment. You don't get a day off. And there's people that will take advantage of it. That's why you must be careful how you love who you love. Because once you're in, you're in. Do you understand? You cannot fall in love and keep the remote. The mumu button. You, you, you know what I mean? The mumu button. That remote that has just one button. Mumu. That thing that makes you vulnerable to the object of your love. If God did not spare his own son, Romans 8.32, but gave him up for us. He didn't, he didn't give him to us. He was given to us later. It was given for us. You understand the difference? Give him up in order to get us. It's as we came, the coming is ratified by putting him now in us. Hence he sent, because Galatians 4, 6. We'll come back to this. Galatians 4, 6. It'll make sense to you in a minute. Galatians 4, 6. And because you are, our sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son. John 1.12, as many as received him to them, he gave authority, exousia, not power. Exousia, authority to become sons of God. And your sons, what ratifies that? The spirit sent into you. So Jesus died for them, then told them, wait, he's coming into you. Does that make sense? So Christ is in you because Christ was given for you. Yeah. Do you understand? Christ is in you because he was given up for you. If God gave up Christ as payment for you, how will he not along with that freely give you all things? That's commitment. No middle ground. So you are in love, no middle ground. I don't understand. I don't understand. Not from scripture, not from God, not from the apostles. I don't understand love that can say no. Personally, especially in relationships with people. I'm like, wow. Wow, you're amazing. I mean, you can love me and say no. You can love me and regulate how much. Legendary. I need to learn that. Or not. You can, you can love me and determine to what degree and, and, and you say it is love, not lust, not obsession, not, not infatuation, but love as a commitment, love as life exchange, love as a connection. And, and I can say to you, 
may I have that? And you said to me, no. You didn't learn it from our pattern. Because he freely gives all things. So where you learned yours from, check. A movie, a book, an unrenewed mind or an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend taught you that. Not the word. Because love in itself is commitment. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. You can't love and regulate commitment. That's why again, it goes back to Friday, do not awaken love. Is love affection one-sided in a relationship, whether sister, brother, or even brethren? No, sir. And this is love, not that we loved him, but that he loved us. And then we now reciprocate that love one to another. We've taught that in this house. So again, if you're in a love relationship where all you're doing is being taken or or stuff is being taken from you, you're just being used. You're just being used. There's no love in the first place. Because love is not given to be endured. It's given to be enjoyed. It's a replica of what we have in Christ Jesus. If there's no rest in love, it's not love. No matter what it is. Love gives rest. And how can you settle in rest when you're the one who is always being stretched? The other person will not ever think of, oh, you know, let me, let me give you 15 naira at time. You hear stupid things like, no, now you are, you are bigger than 15 naira. Wait, let me, let me hammer. When he hammer is, he will hammer you. <laughs> because again, like I've told you, he will value his car. He will not remember you. And he will not, not because he's bad, he just does not have you on the radar to think that he should be responsible for another human being. That's why a child can be crying and a man can just pick it and drop for the mouth. The, the guy does not know what to do. He cannot interpret emph- empathically the, what the child is going through. Why just be crying? Can you see what I'm teaching you? Yes, sir. But the mom takes one look at the child and knows he's hungry. He's wet. He's done a poo. He's done a wee. He's uncomfortable. He's restless. His temperature is high. The father can't read those things because he has no empathy. He hasn't learned how to look after another. So the fact that he's a sharpshooter doesn't make him a father. Uh, Do you understand? Yeah. You have, you have all, your, all your guys are Kenyans. They can run. Jamaicans. So what? That you brought a child to, to the world doesn't make you a father. It takes care and you can also be a father without having physical seed. I don't father the people I father any less than I will father a biological child. So you get involved in that. Because the guy doesn't understand responsibility. He doesn't understand commitment. He doesn't understand pausing himself and taking care of another. You want to buy something and you, it's your thing. And you, you're, it's, I, I need this thing. I've earned it. I've worked for it. I, I, I've gotten paid to buy this thing. But there's somebody else I must look after. Yeah. So I have to take a back seat. But that you can love and hide something from the object of your love. You're not in love. If you're in love and hiding money, you're not, leave now. It will not get better. I promise you, it will not get better. 
it will get worse. You will have land they will not know. I'm telling you. People have broken up or died and then people start showing up to drag what they didn't know was in existence. You can hide money, you can hide movement. Where are you? Your relocation is 33 degrees latitude north, 24 degrees longitude west. You now say you are in the east. You don't know some of us can track your location. From We just take where you are by faith. Do you understand? Because we want to believe in you and not give you reason to make us doubt you. Because for some of us, if, we, if you make us doubt you, you'll not get it back in a very long time. So I'd rather deal with you in faith than relegate my dealing with you to fact. There's, there's some fact. If I decide to see in you, I, won't, I can't love you. So I love you how God loves us in Christ. Sees us in Christ. I just love you in faith. So there are times where I know you are lying to me, but I take what you are saying as truth because I don't want to ever see you as someone that can lie. Not because I do not know you are lying. Do you understand? The problem is not you lying. The problem is me believing that you can lie to me. So I cannot guard your lying. I can guard myself from seeing you as a liar. So I continue to love you. That's love. That's how God deals with us in Christ. He just put Christ there. And you're doing stuff and God can see it. I mean, you cannot say he's omnipotent and omniscient and say he doesn't have the capacity to see your sin. He does. He gave it up. It's your sin he saw that made him send Jesus. What's wrong with you? He told them, he said, Sodom and Gomorrah, the way they are going, see, their sin has come up to heaven. He saw it and chose to fix what he saw. So put somebody in, he changed the view, basically. Do you understand? So he opens the curtain now, he sees a different view. That's righteousness. He exchanged the view, exchanged what he was seeing. Does that make sense? So love is you guarding yourself to not bring yourself to see a person in a particular light. The, re- the whole reason why you are in love with someone is that you find refuge and solace and comfort with them where and in a manner you don't find with someone else. Okay. The moment the person you are in love with threatens that refuge, solace, they have broken the trust. And somebody that starts to guard themselves or regulate their commitment to you is telling you that, listen, I am not as invested in this thing as you are. Someone that can tell you no and walk away and do their thing. And not be able to put you first as consistently as you put them first. is letting you know you are dispensable. So I'm treating you as such. Meanwhile, you're going, I'm all in. Holding nothing back. And then the other person is benefiting from your all inness, <laughs> And just be cruising like that. It's a very unbalanced relationship. You will never be in rest. And I pray for you today that you come into rest. Because it's, it's what is yours. At whatever cost. At the cost of any person or place. Or thing. Or emotion that you come into rest. Because that's your domicile. That's your domicile. That the Lord begins to open your eyes to toxic relationships. Today. And you can let them go. By his spirit and in his grace. 
and those of you that have the authority to fix, especially men, you start to bring the weight of your reality in Christ to bear upon your relationship. That's when it starts to get beautiful. We need to go back to the point where ladies are, are excited and privileged to meet God men. Yeah. I'm not tired of the, the most dangerous men are in church. As well as the most proud sisters. But let's go back to that point where we are raising a quality of people that cannot hide. We just look at the way Christ will do it with the church and do the same. Imagine how marriages start to become enriched again. They begin to be enriched. Because for every single marriage, it forms a family, a, fam- a family unit, a biological family unit in which Christ is on display. Yeah. Imagine the amount of light that floods the nations. That every child born is born into light. Straight up, straight up. Straight up light. Not verbal abuse. Not one-sided relationship. Not an absentee father. Not a frustrated or depressed mother who carries out everything about her past hurts on her children. Parents, mothers that frustrate their kids because of what their dads did to them. And then you grow up with that frustration and start passing it across. And every man you see, you are angry at because of what your mom did to you because of what your father did to her. That's a cycle of hurt that perpetrates. That no amount of prayer and fasting can deal with. We have to change the narrative. We have to be determined as a church to change the narrative. To make the gospel of Christ count in our relationships. That's why I said earlier on, receive this with faith. It's instruction. Don't think it exempts you. Receive it in faith now. Now. Mix it with faith now. Receive it. Open your heart to it. You may not be in a relationship of the manner that you think you should be in. Receive it with faith now. And sometimes all you need to do is receive this in faith to realize that it was what you needed that you didn't even think you needed. In order to make something work or to make something better. In other words, the difference between where you are now and where you ought to be might just be the information that you're receiving now if mixed with faith. Are you instructed today? Yes, sir. Are we done? Yes. Aha. I actually like this one. Can we do a few more? Yeah. Can we talk a little more? Yeah. Ah, this is very juicy. This one has four questions. A woman said, and, and again, some of you will identify with this. A woman said a woman's vagina is an altar. Now, <laughs> now actually, this, I remember this person. This person had sent me a voice note. I remember this. And, and this was like in a, in a church meeting service. And and a lot of these things are going around, making the rounds. We have mystified and spiritized a lot of things. It's things like this that inform that nonsense called spirit husband and spirit wife. It's the same body of thought. Same body of thought that have influenced these things. And again, these are things that are absolutely alien to scripture. Absolutely. There is no progenitor of spiritual wife and spiritual husband that can show you anywhere in scripture where such an example exists. The closest you will find is in 1 Corinthians 6 and 10 where Paul is talking about the Corinthian church were so crazy that they they still felt it was okay to sleep with prostitutes. 
Because there's a temple of sex in Corinth at the time of the Corinthian church. Right? It was that temple that existed in Corinth that inspired things like head coverings. Because there were, were ways of approaching worship to the gods of the Corinthians. And they had crept into church. There was all this confusion going on. That's why Paul starts to deal with the stuff in Corinth. And that's why Paul sends Timothy there. Okay. Am I making sense? Yes, One of the issues they were dealing with was a, an immorality epidemic. Or an, you know what I mean by that, right? An immorality epidemic where the church somehow felt it was okay to be born again and be sleeping with prostitutes. Because again, prostitutes were legal business. Do you understand? Yeah? Was it, there was a temple um, um, dedicated to that. Um, Diana, goddess of love, and you know, a few other things that surround that. Love according to what yeah, they understand love to be. And so he's asked to speak about, do you not know that he who sleeps with a prostitute, Paul was not being random. He was not using prostitute as an idiom to explain what wasn't present. He was dealing with the issue of Corinthians patronizing prostitutes. Do you understand? So do you not know that if you sleep with the prostitute, you become one with her. But he goes on to explain that, that he who commits immorality sins against his own body. Not spirit. Not so. So he tells the same people who were messing about that you not know your body, which you are desecrating, is the temple of the Holy Spirit in whom you, who dwells in you. Your immorality desecrates the body, which is the container of the Spirit. If it desecrates the spirit at the point that it happened, the Holy Spirit will leave. As soon as he leaves, we will not be writing to Corinthians and calling them saints. At best, they will be ex-saints. People who used to be saints until they desecrated their spirit with sex and so the Holy Spirit got grieved and left. Because if he leaves... That's the seal of your salvation for the day of redemption gone. It invalidates your certificate. So let us treat these things the way Paul treats them. He calls sexual immorality over and over. The word is pornea in the Greek. Like I said, maybe today. That day will come. P-O-R-N-E-A, that's the word pornea. That's what eventually that evolved in etymology to bring about the English word pornography. That's the word that they translate even without con- complete consensus, fornication. But pornea is, is not fornication. At best, pornea is re- re- referred to as illicit sexual activity. Illicit. And when Paul identifies illicit sexual activity happening in the church, he tells the church, put it away. Yeah. doesn't say to the church, go for deliverance, yes, sir. for the spirit of sleeping with people. This sister has a Jezebel spirit. But there's nowhere in scripture where we see the Jezebel spirit equated with sex. Yes, sir. There's two times Jezebel is mentioned. One, she's an evil king's wife. No, she's not even a queen. In fact, in Jezebel's time, she was king. Ahab, Ahab was the wife. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? In actual fact, 
Ahab was the, you know, twice. Next time Jezebel is mentioned in Revelation, she's a sister, a spirit, representing the state of the church when she gets caught up in materialism, the Babylonian system. And that could be part of it, but it's not primarily referred to in sexual terms. Are you following me? That leaves us with sex as what it is. Physical activity that where perverse affects the body. Affects the body because the body contains the spirit of God. Does that make sense? So when Paul says to them, do you not know your bodies are the temple of Holy Ghost in whom he also dwells? He says, therefore glorify God with your body. This was for the preservation of the temple of the Holy Ghost. Not for the preservation of the Holy Ghost. Do you you understand what I'm showing you? That therefore demystifies all the already baseless philosophies, for lack of a better word, of spiritual husband. If Jesus said in Matthew that there will be no resurrection, there will be no marriage at the resurrection, how come you can successfully have a spiritual husband when there can be no marriage at the resurrection? Where did the spirit supply the husband to come from? Oh, but pastor, every time I dream, I dream that a man is having sex with me. Renew your mind. Tell us the truth what you are dealing with. There's pornography you have grown up under. There's a neighbor you have watched doing something. Somebody has abused you serially to a degree. Where you are now is a sum total of what has happened to you. Let's find that, deal with the root cause, renew your mind. How you are seeing spirit husband is how people are saying they went to heaven. And if they write 10 paragraphs of their journey to heaven, only one line is about heaven. Nine paragraphs and eight lines is about hell. And the stories and accounts never agree. You are here, you are eating in the dream. Stand up. We are plenty. We are plenty. So if we need deliverance, we are plenty. In your dream, is the only time you can take yourself out. Eat all you want, be satisfied, and not have to pay. In these very dark times, if you now take from us the gift of being able to eat in the you want to kill us in the natural, we're not eating in a dream that is free. You don't want a guy was praying inside prayer, got into an open vision, a trance. In the dream, God said, get up, eat. What is our problem? Visional. Get up, arise, kill, eat. In case you think God made a mistake, three times. But walk Peter up, eat. Let's not even talk about what he meant. I've taught that in this house. 
eat. And then you, if you eat, if that's in the dream, you have borrowed from your village tradition. And so we import these things into church and legitimize them. Because you want to have something to pray about and something somebody must do about what you want to pray about. So we bring spirit husband, spirit wife, eating the dream. Where? Swimming in the dream. If a dog is chasing you in the dream, it means somebody's after your destiny. And yeah, I'm serious. And Christianity has developed a dictionary of demonology that has no basis in scripture. None of them most sensitive than sex. If it was so deep, Paul would not have told them put away immorality. He would have told them now as touching immorality. You know? Now, the way he starts on spirituals. Now, as touching spirituals, as touching immorality, I will have you all know that this is a spirit scene that stops the flow of the spirit. He says, such things should not be heard among you. Put them away. Put off the old man along with his members. Put off all lying. Put off all sexual immorality. Put off all homosexuality. He calls homosexuality and tells them, put it off. What we're making big deal. He tells sons of God who are struggling with these things, put it off. We have built ministries around what Paul said, put off. In Africa, the line is a spirit. Only in Africa. Only in Africa. Because everything in Africa is spiritual. If we have no explanation for it, it's spiritual. Your body goes a particular way, it's spiritual. The sun, right? The bat, owls, the, the cockroach, lizard in your house is spiritual. Rat ate your foot, spiritual. When last did you actually wash your foot properly? Let's be honest. You bring out your food from that shoe that is smelling like the food from three weeks ago at that wedding reception you went. That's how the, your food is smelling when you bring it out of the shoe. Like nine days old fufu. <laughs> bring it out. You didn't air your shoe. You didn't wash your legs. When you washed your legs, you didn't wash in between your toes. When you washed in between your toes, you didn't take time to make sure you towel dry in between your toes. Your feet will get soggy. But you see, some of us didn't even have parents to teach us up correctly. Some of you are sitting around here today looking at me. If I ask you now, get up, take a toothbrush, brush your teeth. 90 of you, 90% of you don't know how to brush your teeth well. 90% of you don't know how to brush your teeth well. Because again, parenting is not giving birth to children and sending them to school. African parents make children look like they did them a favor by giving birth to them. How could you do a favor by giving birth to you? Like the child asked you to be born. So majority of the Af- average African girls that grow up did not learn what a menstrual flow was from their mom. Their moms did not know. And since they can only give what they know, they just let them go. And you figure it out your way. Found something happening to you. Had no clue what it was. A guy went through puberty as a young lad and his father was not there to talk him through. So he grows up and he learns things by trial and error and unfortunately leaves a trail of destruction in his path. Because he has used some people to learn what he should have been taught. Yes, and the church is quiet. Yes, 
And these guys become pastors. These guys become husbands. Become fathers. No, I will teach it. Because we have to turn the society on its head. Rightly, according to the light of Christ. And so when you check, well, your, your trajectory of your dreams is a function of your experience, your past. There's nodes that when you sleep, there's memory nodes in your brain, certain nerves that trigger, that are fed by, your, by a juxtapose of your memories. Not accurately expressed, but in a myriad of your memories and your experiences and your fantasies. That's why in the New Testament have taught them in this church, God can speak through dreams, but he doesn't primarily use dreams as an object of expression. He's too fickle. He's too fickle. He doesn't pass doctrine and his will in dreams. He could. He has the power to. But he chooses not to. So from there you will get stuff like a woman's vagina is an altar. Because it's coming from African tradition. It's the people that tell you to bring a body part for money. That have fed this thing about glorifying parts of the human anatomy. Because out of it comes life. Out of it comes this. Out of the breast comes feeding. So if you bring the part of the breast, if you want to prosper, if you bring part of this and we do something for you, we walk. We walk for you. So people start to target this and when they get to those things, they see them in that light. And these are believers. Does that deal with that? Second one. <laughs> she said when you sleep with a woman... She takes away from you, especially when she's of a lower spiritual or destiny level. Again, I've heard this too. You know, we, we, we still don't understand the concept of righteousness by grace through faith and not of works. Now, I am not, and I'm, I'm sure you know and can hear me clearly, I'm not in any way advocating, you know that. I'm not in any way advocating sexual lasciviousness. Because sons of God are dead to sin. Yes, sir. Yeah, we are dead. So sin can never be the message. Yes. If you want to measure by right, my righteousness by how much I speak about sin, you are the one in sin. Yes. So righteousness is measured by Christ, who is the message. Yes, he is our righteousness. Yes, Does that make sense? So sin is not the message. So we're not in any way advocating, oh, you know, you can do whatever you like, you will die. Sleep around, you will die. No, I promise you. If something will happen to you. You'll catch something, end up somewhere, you'll die. Yeah. And we have good sound to do for your wake keep. Yeah. So just, just so you understand and don't get it twisted. So when we're addressing this, you go, yeah! Ah, I can do. Go and do. Save Johnny. There's no precedent for this in scripture. Again, Paul would have said, Something. The apostles would have said something. Each time Paul talks about it, Peter talks about it, puts away. Jesus says when anyone sin, we have a, an advocate with the Father. That's it. We, we must make sure we don't run the danger of, of amplifying one sinful vice above another. In the same verses where we mention immorality, is the same verse we mention lying. Stealing, malice, strife. Dissension. What is our problem with sex if we are not deranged and perverse? Yeah. We just get the kicks after speaking about it because we have made a taboo out of it. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? Something that should not be spoken about ordinarily. So the moment it comes up, everybody gets sensually excited. And it's the church that's to blame. The church. Oh, don't talk about that. Don't talk about that. Don't talk about that. What's the big deal about it? You should talk about it for what it is, for what it ought to be. In the light of Christ. For what it is. The same verses. There's no place, like I said, the only place where it is hammered on was because there was a particular vice of Corinthians with prostitutes. That's the only time Paul appeared to single it out. Otherwise, every time works of the flesh are mentioned, other things are mentioned along with it. But we have made it a senior sin. That's the problem. I made it a senior sin. We can, if you lie, you know, okay, that's fine, you know. Go back, sin. Father, forgive her sins in Jesus' name. Go back to the choir. Go, go, go and sing. For lying. For keeping malice. We'll call the other person. Call the other person. Okay, hug now. You know. Okay, right? go back quickly. My children. Go back. Sir, I just left it. Hey! You. I had high hopes for you. Some of you here, your greatest pain is being told that at your lowest point. How can you do that? How can you do that? No, you're suspended. And then if you are active in church, you are dead because we will announce your own. Because somehow we just get spooked up by something that you two are falling in. So let's call it what it is. For believers, is a work of the flesh. Affecting the flesh. And nothing more. That by mind renewal, which is where spiritual maturity takes place, you are able to put away as you see Christ. Does that make sense? This answers the third question. People said they slept with somebody and everything went bad and vice versa. How true? I mean, maybe you met a Karashika or something. I don't know. I mean, this last question is actually quite interesting because it's all from the same woman. So the woman said, if you sleep with someone, um, she takes away from you, especially when she's of a lower spirit or lower destiny level. You know, so when they come and you're talking, you have to let them know just before we sleep. Bring the thermometer. What is your destiny level? Who can speak for you? Spiritually. On a scale of 1 to 10, where would you say you are destiny level-wise? Let's know who is taking from who. Because it's on the basis of this question that this guy now asked. So what happens when you now sleep with someone, according to her, with the same destiny level? <laughs> you swap destiny. <laughs> you just sweep, swap destiny. You come in as a lady, you sound like a man. <laughs> what happens? It's fast. I swap my destiny. <laughs> Is it helping anybody? Yes. I've answered this. Can a woman ask a man out? Is it right? I mean, it depends on out. If you're going out now, you tell the man to follow you out. Yeah. This is sensitive. Please, please how, how do you just accept back your family who have abandoned you over the years after the death of a parent, even when you have decided to love them from a distance? Again, we've taught in this house over and over that forgiveness is not something we negotiate with. Now, forgiveness, having said that, doesn't automatically equate a restoration of relationship. That must happen organically 
naturally and that must happen by the leading of the spirit of the lord we must be careful that we're not looking for validation in relationships including familial relationships in other words your acceptance on your value is not contingent on your father being present or your elder brother that despised you for 10 years now saying oh i think you're worthy that's not where you draw validation from if that's where you do then you have serious issues with your growth as a son of god because your value is as determined, you had Pastor John say earlier, as determined by who you are in Christ. You are defined by every word he shares, he says. You are shaped by his promises. Not by, because most times you're looking for validation. You believe I'm healed, I'm healed, and healed, but you're still hoping that the person that rejected you will come around and withdraw the rejection and say, I now accept you. And for some people, that's what you have equated healing to be. That's not healing. That's actually resolution of a complex. You have a, you have a particular complex, an inferiority complex. And until you hear somebody who you should have heard say something nice, until that person says that thing nice to you, you don't think you are healed. But healing is not necessarily that person coming around full circle and saying, I now accept you. No, we are accepted into the beloved. That's the acceptance that matters. Now, when somebody comes back after a long time and realizes what, let, let it be them realizing what they lost. Let it be them. Let it be you singing, look what he's done already. Does that make sense? Not you waiting and thinking, oh, and then after nine years, you start to cry. Where were you? When I, no, 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 no. Fix your eyes on Jesus. God could not have brought you this long for 10 years. And then you now meet somebody who wasn't there and you start to cry. And say, Where were you? You will go another 15 years. I'm serious. Until you understand the rock from which you have been hewn. It's process. It's process. I mean, why, look at Joseph's, that's, instruct Joseph's story with his brothers. By the time his brother encountered him in Egypt, Joseph had grown in stature. He was not a... <laughs> Do you understand? When he cried, he, was crying. he cried with compassion. With love. He didn't cry for what they did to him. He cried for seeing them in the position that he saw them and the possibility that if he had been derailed, see what would have happened to all of us now. Now who would have gotten food for you guys? So while they are going and going, he's like, wait, is my father alive? How is my father? So it was compassion that moved him. Not, not pain. Not pain. That's why he set them up to ensure that when they are coming back, Jacob comes with them. That was the whole thing with Benjamin. You know, putting his cup in there and then, you know, giving an excuse for them to bring Benjamin and then detaining Benjamin, you know, and Judah saying he will stay and all of that. Just to make sure that Jacob comes into rest. It wasn't vindictiveness. And that's our example. Do you understand? So somebody goes away and they come back and praise God, I'm good. There are some people that if I had my win now, I would send them an offering for what they did to my life in the past. Because I will not be where I am now if some people hadn't abdicated, abandoned me when they did. You will not, be, you will not have come as far as you have come. So don't think that your healing lies in those same people coming back around to say, oh, I got it wrong. You don't need that to be complete. Are you following me now? So when they come, oh yeah, I already forgave you. Long since, in advance. I hurt but that's over now. 
Praise God for your life. That doesn't mean that your father, for instance, will now come to your house every day. You have to foster a relationship. Do you understand? Because you also have to be conscious about not going back. Okay, yeah, now I have a daddy. Calm down. Calm down. Now I have a mommy. Calm down. Now my son is back. Calm. You have to build that relationship organically by the leading of the Spirit of God as is relevant for your continued growth. Does that make sense? So you start to call somebody. Oh yeah, now that you're here, what do you think about this? Now that you're here, you want to try and compensate. You can never get it back. One thing I do, forsaking that which is behind. Paul says, pressing forward. Make sense? Yes, sir. Okay. That's that. Is that the last one? If you are in a relationship where your, your partner can do anything and everything to make sure you are comfortable, but has some major flaws, like not knowing what the person wants in life, or not having any plans, goals, or visions, or practically not being able to express it. Is this relationship worth staying in? The person treats you well, but is not going anywhere. Or can't say where they're going. Fundamentals of relationship include the ability to establish what is major and what is minor. Yeah? Fundamentals of a, of a relationship include knowing what is non-negotiable and what is a flaw that can be worked on. Again, it's the same way God deals with us in the light of Christ. You are perfected, you are being sanctified. You are saved, some things have no effect on your salvation, so you are saved. Because of that, you are eternally secured, as messed up as you are. And this is what religious minds cannot understand. Religion cannot understand how you can be dealing with stuff and be saved. Because we have equated salvation to moral purity. Because if by our religious standard of holiness and righteousness, God were to judge, even the very proponents of that standard fall short of it. The very people who are saying, if God sees sin, he will kill it. They, are, they can make noise because of grace. God will judge on the last day. God will judge on the last day. If you see that person when he's angry. And see, I've served with pastors, high and mighty. That person that is saying holiness, if you see him when he's angry, and the things that he utters, things that he utters. Mm. So we, we keep seeing that as what we do to make ourselves worthy, as opposed to what he did to make us worthy. Same principle applies to a relationship. If you love someone, what is the non-negotiable? What have you seen that the entirety of the relationship can be built over time upon? Establish that. Then what are the things that we both need to work on putting away? Such that, and hear me carefully, such that if we didn't succeed at putting those away, will not alter our relationship. A God who will sound a trumpet... And you will not go because you were upset at the brother just now. It's a God that lied when he said you are saved by grace through faith and not of works. Just tell us from the onset that we have to walk this thing. Don't tell us it's not of works. Don't tell us a righteousness which is apart from the law has been revealed. Don't lie to us. Again, this is what religion struggles with. 
Does that make sense? Are you still here? So, a relationship between two people must be built on what is fundamental, what is non-negotiable, and then an understanding of what can and should be worked on. But the understanding will only be held by the mutuality of knowing that there is a possibility that we might struggle with this thing for a long time. And if this guy doesn't change, or if this lady doesn't change, I still love her enough to, to hold on. Because trust me, you're not going to be the fan of your spouse every day. Anybody that tells you that is lying to you. That is where you feel like throwing your spouse out the window of a 10-story building. I'm telling you, and you, you can do it speaking in tongues. I, I stood there and I just looked at the room. And I just, I pictured some of you five years from now. I pictured some of you ten years. It was a beautiful sight. I pictured some of you five years from now with your own kids. Your own marriages. It was actually when Seal was speaking. And, and my heart just gave glory to God. And it, for some of you, it's at those points that these things I was teaching you will make sense to you. I'm not looking for people who are working in banks and are making money so they can bring money to church. No, we're raising sons that stand as epitomes of his grace in the earth at whatever cost. I'm looking forward to five years' time. Some of you, ten years. That's when these things will matter to you. So you're able to determine for yourself what is the fundamental? What have we agreed on? Then what is it that we both need to work on? Does that make sense? It is your understanding of that that will help you determine where this relationship in question falls. He likes me. What is that for you? Is that a fundamental or is that an addition? An additive? He doesn't know where he's going. Is that a fundamental for you? Or is that something you can live with because you two, you don't know where you're going? Because for somebody, it might be a deal breaker. For somebody else, you're happy-go-lucky. Let's just be going wherever we're not going. Let's just, as long as we're going, let's just go. Wherever we end up, we end up. If we don't end up, we're, well. And, and as strange as it sounds, there's people like that. So what might work for somebody might not work for you. So if there's no blanket question, answer to that question. It's up to you Based on this understanding, where is this for you? A guy that doesn't express. Because you, there's some ladies that they have wonderful mind readers. Just look at your husband. Ah, right now he's feeling like I look beautiful. The husband doesn't say he loves me. He'll just buy something for me. So for some women, buy something for you is your language of love. For some women, you will say that I love you every five minutes. And in five minutes you forget to say it, we can have a problem. For a man, why should I say I love you all the time? It's boys that do that kind of time. There's someone who is very busy, does not have time. <laughs> so if you say I love you all the time. For men like us, I would tell you, just after I finish telling you, I would tell you again. Because the way that the Father assures us of his love, is the same way I, Alexander, have learned to assure those I love of my love. You know, there's nothing so beautiful like the lady just picking her phone when she least expects in the middle of a very serious day and just see something that you said that is silly. And for, for some lady, don't give her food. Just give her affirmation. She can fast till the Lord returns. <laughs> for some other lady, she will hold your neck and say, is he love I will chop? 
When has compliment helped anybody? <laughs> Don't compliment me, feed me. So for you, what is the fundamental? Both of you should agree on it. What are the negotiables? Both of you should agree on it. And then based on that, you can then determine what works and what doesn't. Have you been instructed? Okay, somebody asked the question, at what age is it appropriate for a man, for a male or female to go into a relationship? Like I said on Friday, I mean, you should not be asking this by now, but on Friday, age, maturity has to do with age to a degree, but then in preparing to approach a lady, marriage is what you're looking at, not relationship. You don't need to have a lady that you can be rocking. What do you want to do? Do you understand? Why do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, all of us in church, we're here. That's why we are family. Who so you want to have a guy. All of us are your guy. Yes, Except if you are trying to single out one to do something. Does that make sense? That means you don't stir it up. Even marriage is permitted in order for people to not burn up with lust who cannot deal with it. In other words, if you don't have issues with your hormones, you don't have issues with, with, with arousals and all that, you can, you're okay to stay single. But don't say, I'm going to be single, and then you are drinking juice all over the place. You can't do that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm, I'm single, I'm single, I'm single, I'm single, I'm single. And then you chop and clean up, chop and clean up, chop, something happened to you. Does that make sense? So you, you, don't, you don't start to talk about sister. It's not companionship you're looking for. We are all your companion. Yeah. And I'm sorry, listen, I'm sorry to those of you that church failed. I really apologize. On behalf of anyone that calls himself a man of God. I apologize to those of you that church failed just because we were not there for you. And I know what I'm talking about. There are certain silly mistakes that we made that we only made because there was nobody to guide us. I tell my people all the time, I am the kind of pastor I am to them because of the kind of pastor I did not have to me. And I'm sorry that the church is responsible for a lot of our pain. But better things are spoken concerning us. I'm sorry that you couldn't be safe with us. You couldn't be yourself in your local church. I'm sorry that we judged you all along and condemned you because of how you appeared and, and that nose ring and, and that dreadlock and all the things that are, are human parameters for measuring self-righteousness. And not the, not the righteousness that is of faith. And I'm sorry that that's your understanding of church. But that is not the word's understanding of church. That's what has brought us here. Where people have to hide to show affection. So we are all your we are brethren at Delphos. We are from the same womb. So we function as such. Nothing should make you feel like you must single yourself out to one particular person. In order to get a particular affection. I've said over and over. Not in this church. It's in this church. You need somebody to go out with for lunch. Somebody goes with you. In this church. We're family. You come out and you look, you come out and you look lovely. You, here, you will hear it at least 40 times. You look beautiful. You look amazing. To the pure, all things are pure. We'll tell you. Stand up. We'll celebrate you. You look gorgeous. And the Spirit of God is not intimidated by it. Yes, Our primary reason for gathering is fellowship. Yes, 
teaching came about because man fell. That's why we are teaching people back until. It's a time lapse to teach it. Until we come to the perfect man. And pastors and teachers of God's word, we must get back to that. Where we focus on bringing people to a place of maturity where they can stand on their own. And will henceforth have no man teach them. So we teach people until they are at the place where they need no one to teach them. Are you listening to me? And that's where this epidemic has come from. So we start to pair up illicitly. Because nobody is telling us stuff and you want to experiment. And so now when somebody starts to tell you stuff, you start to suspect him. It's happened with me. I will tell young people stuff they will not believe until they go and do it. And you don't know the pain of a father who knows that you will end up here and try to talk to you so you don't end up there. And you thought because he was your father or your pastor, he doesn't know what he's saying. And then you end up in it and bring it back to us. It is easier to deal with something, a mess that somebody else created than to deal with a mess I preempted and could not stop. The pain, you will not understand. I mean, I still have to love you, accept you, treat you no less, but the pain, that inner deep-seated pain of knowing that I spoke to you, at least I tried to. I tried to be honest with you. And sometimes people even walk away concluding that we tried to hit on them. People walk away thinking that, you know, I was interested in them. Young people. Because I'm, I, I, I try to be real with you. Somebody will call it what it is. I'm speaking to you. And I say to you, is it because of your ass? That it, and you're like, ah, Pav, you said it. Oh, so anybody else can say it. And it's okay with you until Pav says it. You will never be able to receive practical advice. Until you understand that we are real people. I will look at you and use your language to speak to you. Because it's a language you use. And because it came from pastor. Oh, pastor, you know that? Eh. You see, that's why a lot of young people actually are convinced they are good at deceiving pastors. But we come down to right where you are. Relate with you. by like, nah, it's bad. You don't know what I'm talking about. And then you come back, daddy, can I talk to you? I messed up. Here we go again. We are family. I've said over and over, if you're not safe in church, nowhere in the world is safe. Nowhere, no embassy is safe. No barracks is safe. If a son of God cannot be safe in the gathering of the saints, in the ecclesia of the brethren, nowhere is safe. No bunker is safe. So I'm sorry if you have not found safety and security in church. But this is why we are teaching the gospel of his grace to turn that narrative on its head. So you can be safe here. You mess up, come straight home. Did you hear me? Come straight home. Don't think of going anywhere else. The devil will have you who will first of all isolate you. If he can't isolate you, he can't have you. You mess up, come straight home. Straight. As messed up as you are, you're crying, I'll cry with you. I've done it many times. Nurse you back because he hasn't abdicated you because you fail. Hasn't given you up. He said, the ones you gave me, nothing, nothing can take them out of my hand. Nothing. Nothing. So we are family. And he helps you to see clearly. 
So when it's time to want to get a, a, a marriage partner, you are choosing a marriage partner for the right reasons. Not to fill a void. A lot of us marry to escape the pressure at home. Ladies just want to, because all they keep telling you is your husband's house, your husband's house, your husband's house, your sister's, your husband's house, in Kem's daughter, your husband's house, your cousin, your husband's house, pastor, your husband's house, other choir members. You are still here, under my roof, under my roof, under my roof. Roof you know build. Under my roof, under my roof, you can be living with your mother and you spend more money running the house than she spends paying rent. It's her roof. It doesn't, ma- doesn't matter what you, you have done in the house. Under my roof. So you escape. Or you went through an abusive relationship and you backed out of it and you're just, oh, marriage. Or brother, you are successful, but nobody regards you because you are yet to settle down. Or you're going through stuff and there's no one to talk to. Let us be family. So when you want to marry, your eyes can be clear as to who you're looking for. So once, we, once church is healthy, you don't need that thing of dating. Because all of us, what you are thinking you want to know from dating, we also are supposed to know as church. Does he have a body odor? We all supposed to know. And we are supposed to be able to tell you in love. Auntie, you may not realize it. And I know you're probably having issues affording a roll on or something. But there's something about the fragrance your body emits through your fabrics when you're hot that is not pleasant. And you should be able to receive it in love. And not be offended. Because if you're already stinking and then you are offended, then you are offensive. My name is Pav, I will tell you. You are stinking, you are offended when corrected, you have become offensive. You are repulsive. Pav, can I go with you when you're going? No! This journey, you cannot come with me. I I have, it's, it's imperative I do it alone. We have to tell you in love. See, it is foolishness for sons of God in a fellowship to feel attacked when corrected. It's not like if I don't correct you, the the body order will leave you and come unto me. Or your attitude will leave you and come unto me. No, no, no. You can keep your stinking attitude and be puffed up. It's fine. And I continue to keep my eyes on Christ and press for the mark of the prize of the higher calling in God. Because I won't let you corrupt me. I'll just mark you as Paul says and avoid you. I love you, but keep going. Become somebody else's problem. But we ought, to, we ought to be safe in church. We can tell you, hey, man, that, you know, just, can you work on that a little bit? You know, can you adjust that a little bit? And you'll be fine. And not, not you also wanting to do it with an attitude because you feel like the other person is obligated to take it from you. People will generally be easily offended at you if they have an example that is better than you. Yes, Teaching you practical things. Now. If I would not speak to people a particular way and you come and speak to them that way, they would get more offended at you than they ordinarily would have been. If I'm insultive and abusive and condescending, it would be easier for them to take it from you. But if I'm not and you're up under me and you deliver it, it will be thrown back in your face. So how will I correct? I've taught some of you here, use hundred words to say what in your head. There's three words. Because you, can, you, know, you want to walk to someone and say, Precious, excuse me, good afternoon, you stink. You, excuse me, you have body odor. But if the spirit of, the, the, the wisdom, James said in chapter 3, the wisdom that is from above, is first of all pure. 
them peaceable, gentle, loving. If Christ became for us the wisdom of God, how would he approach this thing where he on the earth? That's your cue. That's what we're imitating. So you come, it's not something you will do if you don't have time. You, you can't love and correct and fix with impatience. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Because most times what is making some of you want to correct somebody is your own convenience. Please, stop smelling so you do not be affecting my environment. I'm ser- I know what I'm saying. Yeah. Stop smelling. When you come inside here, you have spoiled everything for me. I can't breathe. I didn't get into imitate today. Next week, I'll do it. I'll show you the emotion of Jesus. And one of the most potent emotions of Jesus in the earth was compassion. Compassion in the Greek, the spagnikoso. It cannot even be pronounced. And the, Greek, the translators did not find the word to actually use for compassion. Compassion is not the actual word that reveals the Greek word for compassion in the New Testament. The word reveals a feeling that comes from your innermost bowels, like your entrails, you know, like your intestines. Imagine a feeling that is so deep and it comes from your entrails. Pity that moves from your bowels, that wells up such that you cannot but respond to what has moved you to feel such an emotion. That's compassion. The English guys, the translators had to settle for the English word compassion. It does no justice to that emotion. And you see how every time, every time, particularly in Matthew and Luke, that Jesus worked a miracle, he was moved by compassion. Jesus taught them for three days. And he figured, these guys, man, these guys, ah, I'm sure at that point, Jesus felt Hunger. Like Ephesians 5 says, Hebrews 5 rather, we do not have a high priest who was not touched with the feelings of our infirmities. At that point, Jesus must have felt the pangs of hunger. And then he goes, ah, if I feel this hungry, what would these people eat? Tells the disciples, feed them. Compassion. It was written that Jesus was moved with compassion. The woman's son is dead. Only son is dead. He's going to bury, she's going to bury him. And Jesus sees there and instantly is moved by how he shortly will die. And, ah, and he brings the boy back to life. Then eventually he's on the cross, stretched out, dying. He looks at Mary, losing a son. He's moved by her pain on the cross. He tells Mary, you know what? Carry John. Behold thy son. He tells John on the cross. Tells John. John, take her as your mother. On the cross, he was dying and he was still being moved by Mary's loss. He says, woman, behold thy son. Tells John. Because it was John that was writing it and John said that Jesus turned to the apostle whom he loved. That was Jesus, John always referred to himself in, 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 in third person. Says, woman, behold thy son. Son, behold thy mother. Compassion. And so anybody who is full of themselves or thinks of themselves first cannot be of the spirit of God. Cannot be of the spirit of God. And I will say it over and over until it breaks you or until you leave here and go to find where it's comfortable for you. Because there has to be a crop of people that will put the word to practice for what the word says. It's moved by compassion. Is the, the, the hallmark of what de- defines Jesus' emotion. 
It's compassion. He will see something and they tore the place and brought that guy down, the four friends. It's moved. Compassion. He feels, he feels it inside his body parts. His kidneys, his liver, his, everything responded to what he felt. And that caused him to act every time. You cannot feel compassion and do nothing. And that's where the church has got it wrong. So people are not safe because we're not empathic. So we want to correct you, but we're correcting you for ourselves. We want to give to you, but we're giving to you so that we can look good. But when you are moved with compassion, you picture that it is yourself who is thinking like that person is thinking. Now you, you also picture that if you, if you feel that way, you will not go to yourself if it was you and tell yourself, my Alexander, you are stinking. So compassion by the Spirit of God will move you otherwise. You go, you know, you look beautiful. You look amazing. And, and I know there's something probably off you probably, because most of these people don't even know. Some of them cannot afford basic toiletries. They are my people here. They are here. I know. They enter, as soon as they enter my office, I tell them, lift your hands. They are here. My people in this church. I will open my cupboard. I say, raise your hands. Adults. I will bring out deodorant and spray. And I will tell you, your roll-on has finished. I'm your pastor. It's not my business to buy you a roll-on. But I have the spirit of Jesus. Who is the spirit of compassion? I tell you, your roll-on has finished. I can sense it. How much is it? Okay, take if I have it. Come back. Get from there. In the meantime, lift your, you could not enter my office, leave my office the way you entered. And you will lift your hands up and I will spray to your armpits in this church. I'm telling you what I do as Pav. I will take it and spray you. Then spray your fabric. And you leave. And you know that I've shown you love. And I've also told you, you are sending signals. Fix it. Because that's church. So if we are family like this, what makes you think you need a sugar daddy? When we all can sugar you together. You see why I say church missed it? Somebody that gives you money. Well, no, we all go through it. There's a need, it's our need. There's a loss, it's our loss. There's a gain, it's our gain. Not your gain. I've said over and over, there's at least 10 pastors in this room now. If you are in a local church, one person is rich. 100 are poor. The church is poor. And that rich man is poor. Make him a deacon, elder, pastor. You have just perpetuated the foolishness in church. We want to give. Shall we give? No, pastor, don't worry. I will do it. Until that person realizes that God brought him in there with his riches to better the life of a brother in that place. And not by making him a driver. A Muslim would do his suya business and train somebody. And when the guy is trained, he will open a suya business for the guy next to his. And you ask him, All is for Allah. The one Allah wants to come to me will come to me. The one Allah wants to go to him will come to him. Nobody who Allah wants to come to me will go to him. Nobody who Allah wants to go to him will come to me. That's what the Muslim will tell you. It's a Christian that will pride himself. That you have sons of God, fellow sons of God slaving for you. Whom you can equip to stand on their own. 
thousand is all a tailor needs to start a business. All a caterer needs to start a business. Until we fix this epidemic in church, there's a level of health and stature of the measure of Christ that will not come into. So I'm sorry that the church failed. The church failed because the church was lost. The church is emerging again. The church is emerging again. Healthy church. Robust church. Complete church. Where we are safe and secure in ourselves. Where we are sufficient enough for ourselves. We love on each other. You wear a lovely dress. We know your hair is, your dress is lovely. You tell you your hair is beautiful. You haven't done your hair in a while. Go and do it. Go and do it. Because we know something's wrong. And we love on you. You will not get up and think you need a boyfriend. You will not. We all love, hug on you and, and kiss on you. And celebrate you. Remember you. I go into our church WhatsApp group sometimes and I play. Yeah. Me. So we finish meetings here and we leave. Sometimes we just sit down here and gist. Yes. Sit down and gist. Carry somebody on my right leg. Carry somebody on the right, on the right leg. And we just talk and laugh. And somebody's passing by and I, and I put my foot for them to stumble. And we just... And it doesn't remove the anointing. Because you go and look for somebody to do it with and get into trouble. Let's all see each other and do it here. Let's be ourselves. Let's be family here. Let's take responsibility for each other here. And for those of you that think that love is all all about the cute things and all about the benefits, you are a rogue if you take the benefits of love without taking responsibility for love. Are you hearing me? You love on somebody, you hug somebody, you know, you play with them, and you don't minister to their needs. You're a thief. We'll mark you and avoid you. Sisters will know that you are a, you are a pervert. They know. You stick out like a sore thumb. So when you get up and you come of that age in your mind and your heart, where you know that mm, it's time to take your wife unto myself, you will see her, you will love her. Isaac had never set eyes on Rebecca. And when he lifted up his eyes from afar off, Eliezer was bringing her. When he lifted up his eyes from afar off and saw her, Scripture said, and he saw her and he loved her as a choice, not as a feeling. You cannot feel something for somebody you have not experienced. But as Isaac saw Rebecca coming, according to the will of his father, and this was the type of Christ and the church, do not take, he says, put your hand on my thigh, swear that you will not take a wife outside our people. As soon as Isaac lifted up his eyes and saw Rebecca, he loved her before he met her. And then he took her into his mother's tent and knew her, Yada, in the Hebrew, to become one with her. <laughs> and she became his wife. That's where church has missed it too. I won't teach about that yet, I said. And he knew her and she became. It's a choice. And then you can get up and then look and see and love. And then we all root for you. Send you off. Your, your wedding is our wedding. All of us here are servants, including me. My folks have gotten married in this church. I was the sound engineer. Me. I was the bouncer. Emoji, I stood on stage. People were fighting, literally fighting for souvenir. I stood on stage with my guys forming barrier. And they called it 
pastor to pray. People were expecting to see somebody in senator or suit <laughs> or cassock. <laughs> so a guy with jeans and sneakers and a shirt coming from the sound stand. So I stood. And everyone was looking at me like, huh? Until I spoke. So we come together and make it happen for you. It's our joy. Because when you give birth to children, you're giving birth to people that are growing in the knowledge of his, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not children's church that have no clue. No clue what the gospel is. Shortest verse in the Bible. So what? Longest chapter in the Bible. That what will happen? That's not what will help us in this generation. We have to have a bunch of children that grow up, like I said on Friday, knowing nothing but the gospel until they choose it. The same way you grow up in religion. They will grow up in the gospel until they are of age to choose it. Let's give God praise tonight. Well, that's it for today's teaching. We trust it has been worth your time. For more of these messages from our stables, kindly subscribe to our teaching podcast at www.thebasileacommission.podbean.com or via the Podbean app on your mobile device. For inquiries and further information, kindly send us an email to info at thebasileacommission.org or find us on social media with the handles at the Truth Simply Put or at War the Church. You can also send us an SMS, call us, or connect with us via WhatsApp on plus 234-70-881-8864. Finally, if you would like to give to support the work that we do, kindly follow the Patreon link in our podcast or contact our office for details. Thank you.